Book 1, 86, Chapter 1, The Kiss-Off The years of Bandon Metro Stop was a really shit spot for a scrap Jim knew, swiping left, right at his chintzy clown excuse for a bookie. He knew the subway track was a really shit spot for a bird-dogging, too, even before putting the heel on Bernie, hounding him for payoff on their last wager together, which was how they even got to trading one-twos at the Burbank station stop to begin with. The underground rails were a shit spot for everything involved in collecting on his share of yesterday's winnings. He knew it before he'd heard that Bernie skipped, and he knew it now, while he got Bernie's glass knuckles scraped across his five o'clock at the vacant terminal. But then again, it was all more or less his own idiot fault since he knew the Hollywood holes were a really shit spot to flop in the first place. Jim's knowledge didn't improve his aim any. Bernie ducked his sloppy sucker punch, and the fink bookie bastard came back with a cuff of his own, one that landed. In a normal punch-up, Jim's botched swing wouldn't have queered matters much, not against Bernie, but tonight something in the bookie's returning fire was out-and-out hinky. For a habitual panty-waist, the hopped-up shit-kicker threw a nasty right hook into Jim's side, and the alarming jab stung like salt and sweat as it slapped his gut. Jim's long legs trampolined from the surprisingly solid crack, and he stumbled back, awed by this unprecedented venom, and suddenly wary of the whole damn mess. He'd thrown down dirty with Bernie a handful of times, nothing overly profound, just a few backroom brawls over gambling debts, much like the one at hand, and once or twice a drunken row over gash, all of them mostly friendly and mostly for show. This time, though... Something was goddamned screwy. Jim could tell the greasy fink was doped, and desperate sore besides, and for some reason seeping his wormy little feelings into those flaccid fists, turning them bottle-hard and all business. When a twin blow broke Jim's reflection, kissing the same spot near his maltreated liver, he felt an old scar rip wide, his shirt darkened and slicked to his spared tire belly as blood bubbled up from the resurrected wound. Jim's tortured torso was passingly familiar with the scrape-scab tango, decorated by more than its share of cruelty through thirty-odd years of playing white hat in a dirty town, even after Hollywoodland had socked and browbeaten him into the protective arms of cynicism in his early twenty-somethings. But he'd earned this particular notch back when he was nearly boozing age and nearly twice as lucky. Even at the height of his idealism— Jim was never disillusioned enough to dream of stardom. Firstly, he never even had what other people might consider looks, let alone good looks. His eyes were too hard, and his facial bones too sharp with a voice that followed like glass on cement. He had a charcoal stare that could turn bullets, and a snarling sneer that could tame a jungle cat. Secondly, he grew up near Tinseltown, and everyone knew that movie stars weren't bred in Los Angeles. They just moved here. So he figured the runner-up was to play at the things he saw in the flickers. He made like cops and robbers one summer, tried tap-dancing the next. A splintered ankle taught him his grace went about as far as his pecker. But Jim hadn't gotten too mopey about that dead hoofer disaster. However, leastwise, not for long. He always had the Merry Melodies cartoons to look forward to. Them his favorite reels by a mile. He even vowed he'd grow up to be Bugs Bunny one day. Turned out he was the duck instead. Even back before he started boozing with the best of them, Jim was never quite sharp enough to grow up a copper, and he knew it. 
he definitely wasn't subordinate enough. Eventually, he settled on Private Dick instead, where he wouldn't have to be either. But what Jim didn't have in both brains or beauty, he was double-graced with in something else, something better even, he thought. Since it was a trait, you couldn't nail down or wreck up. Since his stubby feet could carry him from his anti-shack on Wilshire and La Brea and onto the boiling tar of the sunburnt street outside, what then ruled his life on the neon-kissed block and what now damned his life in the dead dark of the holes was his uncanny dumb luck. He was running with Maddox Leonard back when he got this particular scar, the meanest one, the faded one, and the first of many. Jim played cop to Maddie's robber, then later bodyguard to his big shot. Thinking back, Jim wasn't really sure how he'd tolerated Maddie's bad streak for so long, even as a vagrant ten-year-old pinching dime store candies from shop windows.